I can't golf? Man. <laughs> you don't even know me like that, Scott. Man, look at that. So apparently, there were these three golfers. And this true story could only happen in Florida. These guys were out golfing one day, three buddies. Um, they were doing pretty good. And all of a sudden, this freak act of nature, they all simultaneously get struck by lightning and die. Graveyard dead. Done. Right there, 14th tee. Done. Coincidentally, they were good men. They were Christians. They went to heaven. And so as they checked in at heaven, they asked St. Peter, can we play golf? And he said, not only can you play golf, we got the best golf around. He said, we got good golf up here in heaven. He said, there's only one rule to our golf. Don't hit any ducks. These guys thought, well, that's the strangest rule I've ever heard. So they're golfing for all eternity. And they're having a good time. They are just, it was, you know, golfing and swinging, just on and on. And finally, one of the three hits a duck. Wouldn't you know it? They're all like, ooh, what's going to happen? St. Peter shows up out of nowhere with this woman. She's rather homely, not pretty. Probably looks kind of like me without the goatee, as I understand the story. And this guy that hit the duck, he says, uh, sir, you hit a duck. And he handcuffs this ugly woman to this man. For all of eternity, they're together like that. And he does not get to golf any longer. He said, wow, okay. So his buddies are still golfing, because that's what you do when your friend goes home early. <laughs> They're golfing. And uh, wouldn't you know it, a few days, a few minutes, however the time span goes in heaven, another guy, whack, tees off, hits a duck. St. Peter shows up with an even uglier woman. Stay with me, ladies. <laughs> says, you hit a duck, sir. You know what happens. Handcuffs this lady, takes the golf bag. There he goes, bound for eternity. This third guy, he's sad, but he's still golfing. He's just having a time of it, just not missing. Everywhere he goes, waving to people, golfing like crazy. One day, St. Peter shows up. He's getting ready to tee off. The most beautiful woman this man has ever seen. And he handcuffs her to him. And he says out loud, can this get any better? Yeah, I lost my buddies, but I'm, I'm playing the perfect game. And now there's this, this perfect woman. I don't know what I did to deserve this. And the lady says, I hit a duck. <laughs> See? Told you, it was worth the wait, ladies. It's always, you always get even in these kind of things. The... Uh, See, the problem is, it's funny, it's a good little story, it's a good joke, you can tell your friends, um, that's how we are though. We, we see the world a lot like these golfers do. There's a sad truth to this story because we as a whole, as, as a culture, we are really good at judging on the externals. We do it with pretty much everything. We judge how people look. We, we are good at judging everything by its cover, not just a book. Uh, you're at a movie preview or, or you're, you're, you're with your friends and you see someone or on a menu at any given restaurant on any given day, we can hear people say, oh, that looks good. 
just because they paid extra to have somebody take a, a blown up fancy picture of a Big Mac. And it never looks like the picture. It never looks like on TV. And it probably tastes better if you ate it off a of TV. <laughs> the same thing. We go to a movie. They play a 60 second preview of a movie and we're like, oh, that, that movie's going to be awesome. Just because somebody fell off a cliff or, you know, whatever, we think automatically it's going to be amazing. Lucky for us, God doesn't make judgments on the externals. God looks at our hearts. And God also wants us to resist judging people on the outside. You see, we we see this truth in the story as we come to this place, to the anointing of of David as Israel's king. He's, He's just a shepherd. Uh, Go ahead, turn in your story Bible to page 145. We're going to look at David coming from shepherd to king. And if you haven't gotten a story Bible yet, you can look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. We're going to cover a lot of scripture today. Somebody once said that um, they prefer to read the scripture and then retell it in their own words. And my opinion is it's already been written amazingly for the first time. How am I going to improve on that? So we're going to read a lot of scripture today. And I'm going to share with you just a few truths from God's word about resisting that temptation of judging on the externals and really looking at people's hearts from here on out. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the example you give us in your word of, of, of not judging a book by its cover, not taking things at face value, but it, that looking deeper into a situation or an issue or, or into someone's heart. I pray, Lord, that as we look at just a small snapshot of David's life, today, that we will glean some wisdom from your word, that we will somehow be able to apply it to our lives to to just be a better reflection of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Like I said, we're at page uh, 145 in your storybook, story Bible, and it should start out and say, from shepherd to king. And uh, this is how it starts off. The Lord said to Samuel, uh, let me back up just a second. Last week I talked to you how, how Saul, King Saul, had done some less than average things. He got to thinking highly, more highly of himself than he ought to. And this is my summary of it. And, and hopefully you read about this this past week. And, and God's favor fell away from King Saul. And, and God actually removed himself from King Saul, allowing him to still be king, but knowing that there was going to be a replacement. And so his servant Samuel, uh, the prophet, is, is kind of, he, he's sulking about this. And, and so God says to him, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse already. Uh, no, OK, we're good. All right. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel, Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. <clears throat> uh, when they arrived, oh, excuse me, then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. 
Jesse then had Shema pass, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all of the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending to the sheep. And Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent for, uh, excuse me, he sent for David. And when they, they had brought him in, he was glowing with health and a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. <clears throat> David, after this, spent some time in the company of King Saul. You'll read about that this week. Um, he, he actually would go and play music for the king when he would get upset. So Saul would have these fits of rage, and they said, hey, there's, there's David. He plays really well. Maybe we bring him in. It'll, it'll calm you a little bit. And so, so they do that. But here's what I want you to know. God saw David with the potential of a king at a very young age. Psalm chapter 78, verses 70 through 72 says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. That's awesome. <laughs> from tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. You see, here's David who is fully engaged in caring for his sheep. And, and sheep aren't easy to care for because sheep are dumb, all right? And, and so as you, as you read the story this, this week, you'll learn more how David protected his sheep. He rescued them from danger. Uh, but most importantly, David was a man after God's own heart. Other people didn't see this in David. They didn't see that, that he had the potential to be a king. His own father didn't even call him up when Samuel came and said, hey, I need all your sons. He thought he meant all his good sons or his noble sons or his tall, handsome sons. He, he knew he meant all his sons. He didn't even call David up. There's a song written by Chris Tomlin. It's called Your Heart. And, and it sums up David's whole life pretty well. But the chorus of this song is, is a chorus that I think not only should we learn, but we should live out as Christians. And it says, I'm going to share the chorus with you. It says, at the end of the day, I want to hear people say, my heart looks like your heart. My heart looks like your heart. When the world looks at me, let them agree that my heart looks like your heart. We're going to listen to Tom. He's going to sing this song. I want you to think about the moments of David's life that you know about. Okay? And I want you to think about that as he sings this, as he shares this glimpse of, of what it was for David to come from being a shepherd to a king. Simple shepherd songs 
I'm going to take a minute and give a selfish plug. The, uh, the song that he sang and all of our worship songs are on a Spotify channel. If you haven't downloaded that app yet, I want to encourage you to do that because every Sunday somebody's always like, hey, that one song was really good. How do I hear it? You can go to Spotify, download the Huntsville Christian Church app, and you can hear the songs that we sing here on Sundays all week long. You don't have to wait till Sunday to hear them. So I want to encourage you to do that. Here's the thing. We've, we've seen just a glimpse in Scripture of how God looks at the heart and not at the outward appearance of people. And, and this is interesting to me because when Saul was made to be Israel's first king, the Bible tells us he was a head taller than anyone else. That he was, he was this big strapping man. And, and here we are, you're on page 146 in your story Bibles now, or, or 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we go from head taller, big strapping, to scrawny shepherd looking guy, you know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. We find also in chapter 17, where we're headed with this, is, is here's Saul, King Saul. God has left him, if you will. And he is in this gridlock battle with the Philistines. Here's, here's I'm a head taller, strapping, handsome Saul, and he's basically afraid to do anything. The Philistines have gathered their forces for war. They've assembled at a place called Soka in Judah. They've pitched camp, and, and they're in between Soka and Azekah. And listen to what the Bible says. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill. The Israelites occupied another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Now, in case you're wondering about all those sizes and dimensions, Goliath was big. All right. He was at least a head taller than Saul. <laughs> Maybe a few. Goliath was big. His armor was big. His weapons were big. He was a large man. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. The Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. It, it's pretty clear here that God has rejected Saul as a king because he's terrified. He doesn't know what to do. Verse 12, Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. As you recall, they were overlooked for being the king. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's sheep at Bethlehem. As I told you before, David would go play songs and calm down Saul, but in the meantime, he still went back to his home job. He still went back to taking care of sheep. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening, and he took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain, these ten loaves of bread for your brothers, and hurry to their camp. 
Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw this man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is a shepherd boy talking about a seasoned warrior. Okay, this is not commander to commander. This is this is little David saying, who is this guy that he can defy the armies of God? They repeated to him what had, what had been saying and told him, this is what we done for the man who kills him. And when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? He wants to make sure that David knows his place. He's got no business here. And get back with those few sheep. Your sheep aren't even worth you watching, but you should be there. I know how conceited you are, he says, and how wicked your heart is. I think that's funny that the first brother overpassed for being the next king says to David, who is a man after God's own heart, I know how wicked your heart is. And you only came down to watch the battle. You only came down to see the carnage. And David, like most younger brothers, now what have I done? Can I even ask a question? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same manner, matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Keep in mind the picture. The army of Israel was not a tiny army. Okay, Saul was not a weak man. The warriors for Saul were not weak men. And here's this shepherd. And he says to the king, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, I love this analogy too from David. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, for this man to be the same as a lion or a bear, still has me concerned about fighting him. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and had a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And he said, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Verse 40, 
says that he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bare in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him, which tells me Goliath was ugly. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Whoa. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Folks, what are you willing to do to show the whole world there is a God? I mean, here's David, a stone and a sling and a stick, and he's saying to this giant warrior, not only am I going to give your carcass to the birds and the wild, the wild beasts, I'm giving the whole, Israel, the whole Philistine army over because we're going to defeat you. And he says it, and the only reason is so the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. He is putting his life on the line so the whole world will know there is a God. What are you willing to do to show the world there is a God? Verse 47 says, All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. We need to live our lives knowing that no matter how big the giant is, or how big the battle, or how overwhelming the diagnosis is, the battle, your battle, belongs to the Lord. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran toward the battle line. He didn't stand back. He ran toward the battle line to meet him and reaching in his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone, the stone sank into his forehead. He fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over, stood over him, took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the sheath, and after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Which also bothers me because that wasn't the agreement. They clearly are not people of their word. <laughs> Goliath said, if you defeat me, we will be your subjects. They welched on a bet. You can't do that. And so David cuts their head off. They all start running. The men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn all along the Sharon Road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. That was intense. Now let's recap this for just a second. Jesse didn't even bring David out when Samuel asked about all of his sons. David's older brother scolds him for leaving his sheep to come watch the battle between the Philistines and Israelite. King Saul views David as just a boy, not, not, not only not fit for a king, but he didn't even see him as fit for battle at all. 
Goliath even says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks just before David kills him? I'm reading through this story thinking at some point, somebody has to think David is worth something. At some point, he's killed a lion, he's killed a bear, he, everything, but it, everybody keeps shooting him down. And at the end of the battle, even Saul was impressed with David's victory over Goliath. During their post-battle interview, Saul asks about uh, David and his family, and then he fully drafts David into the service of the king's court. David and Saul's son, Jonathan, had an instant rapport. Jonathan was by all rights the, suce- the successor to the throne. He should have been the next king. But Jonathan saw David with the potential of a king. And, and you'll read about this this week. 1 Samuel 18, 4. Jonathan gives David his royal robe. That's not something that happened. And so here in the life of David for the first time is somebody, because actually even the prophet Samuel who came in to anoint him didn't see him as being worthy of king. But we finally get to this place where Jonathan sees who David is, puts his royal robe on him, and these two form a friendship of love and loyalty as strong as any brother's. But here's the thing. David's popularity didn't play out well in the final days of Saul's reign. As Saul got older, he got crankier. And uh, I like to look at it in this way that David goes into boot camp, if you will, to be trained as a king. Saul is so hostile and so angry towards David. And God uses this as a tool to train David in godly, kingly character, how, how not to be a king, how not to treat people. David lives his life as a fugitive, depending solely on God for guidance and help for 14 years. That's impressive because so often in our own lives, we go through a week of a rough time and we think, God, have you abandoned me? Here's David, 14 years, living in caves, running for his life, hiding even when he had opportunity to kill Saul, lets him live. And we go through a week and think we're all alone. But God uses this time. And finally, David is ready to represent God and God's character. And he is inaugurated as king over Israel. And David as king also points to the one who will come as the Messiah. I'm going to start laying in some things for you. You see, David and Jesus are the same tribe in the same city. They're the same tribe, the same city. David was anointed with oil. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The anointed one is the same as Messiah when you you put these words together. There are a few other parallels in Jesus' story so far. Back in Exodus, we talked about how Jesus is the Passover lamb. And and then when we talked about Joshua, Jesus and Joshua mean the the same name as Savior. And then in Judges, we learn that Jesus is our ultimate deliverer. And in Ruth... There's a parallel of how Jesus is our ultimate redeemer. Because we know all of these things to be true about Jesus, we should be convicted to respond in a way that will honor him. You see, Scripture tells us we're accountable for the knowledge we have and we're accountable for what we do with that knowledge, how we teach others. But Satan wants us to believe that we're too small or too inadequate to share the story of Jesus with others. I'm so thankful that our God looks at the heart. You know, there were, there were many unlikely people that God used in the Bible to represent him. And just as both David and Jesus were underestimated by others, they were judged on the externals. People would look at Jesus and say, he doesn't look like a king. He doesn't look like a savior. He's a carpenter. David, he doesn't look like a king. He doesn't look like a warrior. He's, he's a shepherd. You know, we can expect to be underestimated too, folks. And the truth is, far too often we underestimate ourselves. We need to be reminded here that 
that we're not created with a spirit of timidity and fear, but that we are created in the image of God. And we also need to know that just as David and Jesus went through a season of testing, God is going to allow you to be tested as well so that you can develop character and integrity and be able to represent Him in your schools, in our jobs, in our homes, in our communities, our nation, our world. As we come to our response time today, I want you to, to think on whether or not you're doing what God has called you to do, David. Are you depending on yourself like King Saul did towards the end? Are you doing what God called you to do like David, or are you depending on yourself like King Saul? I also want to share with you something that I believe. I believe that every one of us needs someone in our life like a Jonathan. We need someone in our life who sees us with with potential even better than we see ourselves sometimes. I think we all need that. He may be the only person who saw David as a king early on. And I think we need to have somebody in our life who can do the same thing. And today, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to be your Jonathan right now. I don't know what it will take for you to see you the way that I see you. But when I see you, I want you to know that right here in this room at this very minute, what I see is a room full of people who have all the talent, all the ability, all the manpower, all the elbow grease, all everything that we need to change our community for Jesus Christ. That's what I see in this room. What I don't know is do we have the desire? Are you willing to go 14 years of boot camp to be that person? Do you care enough about the people outside of this building to leave the safety and comfort of the flock, which is what David did. He had sheep and and they were hard to deal with because they're sheep and they're dumb. But, you know, There was comfort there. There was safety there. Are you willing to leave the flock and go into the wild, David? Do you believe enough that if God gives you a sling and a few rocks that you can take down the giants around you? Do you believe that? I do. As individuals and as a congregation, I believe that. As a matter of fact, I know that what God calls you to, he will lead you through. And I believe, like I said, that we can be the change in this community that's going to honor God. And today... We're going to do something a little different because I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a line, if you will. I'm, I'm drawing a battle line here today because I believe we can be the change. And, and if you believe that, because this is the line I'm drawing, I want everybody to just you stay seated as we sing this response song. If you believe that we can be the change that's needed in this community, in our families, in our schools, in our worlds, in your job, then I just want you to simply stand up as we're singing. And, and now listen. It's okay if you don't stand up. That's fine. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to use you as an illustration. I just really want to know what we've got to work with here. If you're at a place in your life where you need to repent or rededicate yourself so that you can do what God's called you to do, that's awesome. Come forward. The elders are here to pray with you. The baptistry's ready. If you'd like to start fresh today by submitting to Jesus Christ and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that can happen as well. But either way, we respond as we sing and think about what God's called you to do. That's awesome. It's great, it's great to be with you guys today and, and worship. And I'll tell you, I'm glad you're all standing because you never know how that's going to go. And, uh, but I'm excited because it tells me that you see what I see in you, that, that we do have the ability and, and we also have the desire. And that's what it takes to impact people for Jesus Christ. 
It's time for us to be the people after God's own heart. It's time for us to put down the stuff that weighs us down. The armor for Saul was good, but for David, it just weighed him down. It made it so he couldn't do what he needed to do for God. And we need to find out what that is in our lives, what's weighing us down. We need to leave it behind. It's time also for us to to prepare ourselves to begin leaving the comfort and safety of the flock. I'm not saying leave the church. Don't now hear me right. All right. Not not kicking anybody out. All right. But we leave here. This is great because there's love and there's encouragement and there's, there's these things we need. But when we leave here, it's time to leave this comfort and go out and be a true reflection of Jesus Christ. It's time for us to be the difference. There are too many hurting people that don't know what we know. It's time for us to desire to be people after God's own heart. And just like the, t- the song says, I love the part where it says, five little stones or a royal robe, shepherd or a, or a king, doesn't mean a thing. Because at the end of the day, I want to hear people say that my heart looks like your heart. I don't care what your job is. I don't care if you run the company or you're working in the mailroom. It doesn't matter. Is your, does your heart look like God's heart? Unashamed, I will dance in your name. Lift my hands till my heart looks like your heart. Till my heart looks like your heart. Amen. As you go this week, the best way to get your heart to look like God's heart is to read his story. Meditate on what you read. Ask him to show you where you need to change, where you need to make improvements, what you need to set down and start making those changes today. We have the ability. We have the desire. And I pray this week that that will just continue to grow in you. Remember, don't just read God's story, but live it. Have a great week.